Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the opportunity just to, just to sing those words out together as God's people, just, it just reminds me of, of the joy it is to, um, to be a part of a local church and to uh, just genuinely just love the people of the church. I just want you to know how much we love you and, and care for you and, uh, and just are thankful for the way God loves us. Amen. And uh, his love is, is awesome and so deeply encouraging. I'm excited um, uh, to be back in the pulpit preaching. Um, had a few weeks off for some vacation and some uh, time just to focus on some other things that our church needs in my leadership. If I haven't uh, met you, my name's Brian Beamant. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, just excited this morning um, to uh, kind of continue in this series um, that we've been on um, a more excellent way from 1 Corinthians 13. And, uh, you know, Pastor uh, Jeremy and Pastor Chris have done such a phenomenal job over the past few weeks uh, leading us through this passage. Amen. Amen. And, um, and I've been personally challenged by that. And coming to today's message, what we're going to be looking at as we sort of conclude this uh, a little mini-series is um, that, that love is supreme. The supremacy of love is so clear from the pages of Scripture. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but the, the mission of our church, the, the heart of our church, the desire in our mission is for that to be the thing that we're focused on. The mission of our church is to love God, love disciples, I'm sorry, love God, love others, make disciples of all nations. And so that means that love is pretty important in the fulfillment of the mission. And uh, it's essential, and it's not a subject that we can only consider for a season and then move on to the next subject that God has for us. It's not a topic either that's only applicable to certain people. Uh, it's the call of every disciple of Jesus Christ every minute of every day. We're called to love. We're called to love. And, you know, the series that we're going to pick back up on next week, uh, it was titled Parting Words. And we were in John looking at the last words that Jesus had for his disciples before he would be betrayed and end up going to the cross. And in that passage, uh, we, if you remember, John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So the front part of our outreach to the world, the way that anybody understands that you individually are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And there's the challenge and also the call that the supreme uh, a work of love is to point people to the God who loves them so that then they can be made and empowered to be a person who loves others. That's the beauty and the breadth of the gospel right there in its simplest form. And, uh, and I want for, for my life and for your life, for God to cultivate this call in our hearts, to cultivate it, to deepen it, to broaden it, but that's going to require a work of God, not just um, one sermon. It's going to require the truth of God being brought specifically to your heart and my heart in a way that the power of God through the work of the Spirit would both open our eyes to the places we need to grow and deepen in us a conviction about the supremacy of love. And so knowing that we need God in that and through even this message, let me pray for us before we jump in. God, I thank you for 
Uh, this group of people that you have uh, brought here this Sunday, I thank you for uh, whether they are people who are visiting our church or people who have been um, uh, really central members of our church. I am thankful for each and every life that is here. I'm thankful for the preciousness of life and the work that you want to do through us, the way you reveal yourself to us, the way you want to show us your love and call us to be agents of love. But God, I know that this work cannot be accomplished. This conviction, the, even the empowering for love cannot come just from uh, my power. I'm asking that your spirit would convict, would lead, and would captivate our hearts with this as our priority. And so I trust you in that and ask that you would do the work that you're wanting to do this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, if, if you took everything that, that you did in the past year and it was magically organized into major categories, what would it show about your priorities? What, what are some of the major categories that would compete for the top st- spot in your life? What would it be? Maybe if it got organized into those categories, maybe it would be making money. Maybe to provide for your family. Maybe you've been in a season where that's been difficult or trying and, and that's really been your top priority. Or, or maybe it's getting your kids in, involved in as many activities as possible. Um, maybe it's binging your favorite shows on Netflix. Maybe it's projects around the house that seem to never end. Maybe it's, it's, it's always shopping for the, for the deal to, to save the money, but, but wanting to, to find the best deal at every point. Maybe it's your current hobby, whatever that might be, or something that's been your hobby for a number of years that you've just given so much time to. Maybe it's social media and your attempt to stay connected in some way and the way that makes you feel. Maybe it's video games or games on your phone, things that are distractions to you that maybe have uh, taken their hold and become a top priority. Reality check, what is your top priority? God knows. Some of you know, and honestly, I think there's some in the room that maybe need a bit more self-awareness to be aware of what really is their top priority. And one of the things I'm asking in this message is that God would make you aware of your top priority and where that's not right that there would be um, a turning of your heart. None of the things that I mentioned are necessarily sinful, but should they be your top priority? When you're compelled by something, here's what I know. When you're compelled by something, anyone is compelled by anything, they will prioritize it. It's amazing how people don't have priorities for certain things, but suddenly something grabs a hold of their attention and they're like, whoa, that's a, that just became a priority. And these things can shift and change. And, uh, but whatever you prioritize, it will dominate your time and it will influence the way you think about everything and the way you do everything. The passage today is going to make a clear case that loving like God should be your top priority. Bible's open, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse eight. Follow along with me. The truth and the powers from God's word, not from this communicator. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what church? It's love. The greatest of these is love. It's clear from the passage. I want to point our attention first um, to this sort of big move uh, for us as we walk through this passage. Loving like God must be your top priority. If, if you're like, my faith is in Jesus and I want to follow him for the rest of my life, then a part of that commitment must be that loving like God is your top priority. That the outflow of your life, that the outflow of a love for God is a love for others. A growing, maturing love for others. I mean, it's, the passage starts with, uh, in that first sentence in verse 8, love never ends. It never ends. Other, ver- other versions of the Bible say things like, love never fails was another a translation that was strong. That the idea that love is unfailing is so, is so captivating to me. Think about the things that fail over time in our lives. There's a lot of them, right? Like vehicles fail over time. Some of you are like, yeah, thanks for reminding me of the cost of that repair. Things around your home like decks and garage doors. It's a little close to home, being honest with you. Those things are failing at my house and need to be replaced. Unfortunately, because of sin, relationships sometimes fail and struggle because of the strife of that. Careers fail for a variety of reasons. All of us live in bodies that are going to increasingly fail in some way, shape, or form. And some of you are like, thanks for reminding me of that one also. Many things can fail over time, but love never fails. Never fails. How can it not be our top priority? The passage then ends in verse 13, sort of gathering this passage together with that first sentence in this last verse. It ends with a comparison, or if your mind is like mine, a competition of faith, hope, and love. In the last sentence, it declares the winner, but the greatest of these is love. So love is the victor. Love finished the race ahead of faith and hope. They were very disappointed, but they did not win the gold medal, okay? So if you, want some comp- if you have some compassion this morning, sorry, faith and hope, you didn't make it. You, you meddled, but um, you didn't finish uh, as the greatest because the greatest of these is love. And, and listen, you can look just at the number of biblical references and you can see that love wins. Love, 551 references. And if you weren't sure, a faith came in second with 278 and hope came in last with 151. Okay, still a respectable performance, right? By hope. So, but love wins the gold medal and uh, stands at the top of the podium. And, uh, but... <sighs> The idea of love being the greatest is about more than the quantity of verses in the scriptures. Love being the greatest is about the quality of love. It's referring to love being the greatest because it's what endures for eternity. Do you see that? Like faith and hope only endure until you meet Jesus face to face. The the idea of faith and hope are even connected together in the very essence of the definition of faith. 
And, and so what happens is, is that when I see Jesus face to face in eternity, I'm not going to need faith to believe in him. He's going to be right there in front of me. I'm not going to need hope anymore because hope will be realized in eternity. You see? So this is why hope and faith finish behind love because love is preeminent and it's permanent and it's eternal. It never fails and it never ends. It's the greatest. And knowing the character of love means that when you know it, the character of biblical love, you're like, this has to be my top priority. And I'm willing to rearrange whatever is necessary for that to be the top priority of my life. And 1 John 4, 8 even gives more clarity. When, when John writes this, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 8, write that down. You need to know this verse because it will help you understand the reality of love. Because love endures, love doesn't fail because God is eternal and God doesn't fail. Any disciple who prizes God must put loving like God at the top of their priority list. So, I understand the challenge of that just like anybody. There's some things that make loving others hard. Can we agree? There's some things. So as opposed to just acting like it's not the case and putting on our like happy Christian face that acts like everything is all together, how about we just cover the reality that this is hard and there's some things that the Bible points to and tells us and teaches us to reinforce that love can remain as the top priority. So how? How do we reinforce this? Two ways right from this passage. First, you've got to make a decision just like I have made the decision. That above all other things, here it is, first one, I mean, first point, set love as the highest mark of spiritual maturity. Look in verses eight and nine. After love never ends, it says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's Jesus. You can write that in your margin. The partial the things that are leading to him will pass away. Here's a reference, a clear reference that Paul's making to spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts, just so you know, understand the context, like we're in chapter 13 and chapter 13 is this weird stop in the middle of, of, of the book of, of 1 Corinthians and, 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 and Jeremy talked about this in the, in the first week that there was this, you get, to ver, you get to chapter 12, all about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, all about spiritual gifts. And right in the middle, chapter 13, this chapter about love. As a reminder for some of you, a spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ that, that empowers you to serve one another in a specific way in love. Gifts, quite simply, are empowered by the Spirit to showcase God's love. That's what you do when you operate in your giftedness. It's a way to express love to the, to the body of Christ in whatever way God has empowered you for that. So see, prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge and leadership and evangelism and all of these sort of service, all these sort of gifts that you see within the scriptures, they're all still very, very applicable and important in the church today. Because the perfect has not yet come. Jesus hasn't returned and we're still in this life 
And so the spiritual gifts, listen, they're beautiful and powerful, but they're only in part. And the passage says they are partial, but when Jesus, the perfect, comes, then all the gifts will cease. And why is this the case? It's the case because in in eternity, face to face with Christ, love will be perfected. That's a moment that I long for more and more. And so remember this then. The end goal of our service to one another, the end goal of our gifts being expressed is simply to mature the love of God in one another and our love for others. That's the purpose. That's the, the spiritual gifts are the vehicle. The spiritual gifts aren't supposed to get the attention. The attention is the goal of maturing in our love for God and our love for others. So set love as the highest mark of spiritual maturity. The highest mark of spiritual maturity is not using your gifts. That's important, but so many in the church get their identity sort of wrapped up in their gifts, and, and, and that becomes the highest priority instead of love. My identity is not caught up in my gifts. Yes, I want to learn more about, and I want you to learn more about your spiritual gifts over time. Yes, I want you to serve one another with your spiritual gifts as an act of love, but remember The gifts are a vehicle empowered by God to serve one another to the end of maturing our love for God and others. Do you see it? It's important to see the connection there. It's the the same for, for ministries in a local church like ours. Ministry is strong if it's producing and maturing people's love for God and others. That's why we're so focused on keeping the gospel at the center and keeping the mission of God at the center and not keeping the name of our church at the center or any individual leader at the center. We're just trying to serve just like any other person. Different roles, different levels of responsibility, different calling, but fundamentally our heart is to see your life mature in your love for God and love for others. Now, verse 11 gives us sort of an illustration for this point in a really unique way. Uh, Just turn your attention to that verse again. And this, it it highlights this this transition of maturity from a child to an adult. And I love the way it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I think in, in my version of the Bible, I would put hopefully as a challenge and as a reminder. Um, so, so what is it that changes, what changes as a person grows from a child into an adult that causes them to be a more loving person? This illustration's in the context of the chapter about love. So what is it? What changes happen in a person's maturity that allows love to flow from their life? And I think there's many options that Paul could have been pointing to. Let me suggest one that is pretty easy to see. Here's the statement. Love for God and others flows only when the focus shifts from self to others. Pastor Chris talked about this last week. A little bit. Let me go even further with it to reinforce it again. Love for God and others flows only when the focus shifts from self to others. There's a switch that, 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 that sometimes I feel like I can feel myself moving towards to like move up or down in my life. When the focus is on self, love is like stopped. When the focus is on others, love can flow. We, we understand this with children. 
This is the children to adult illustration. Young children draw attention to themselves without being taught to do it. Can I get amen from any parents? Okay, like you do not need to teach a child, hey, um, you really should uh, bring attention to yourself. You don't need to do that. That is not a lesson they need to learn. Sunday, last Sunday, we had a, um, we had kind of a, a staff and families, a pool party at uh at, at, at the Rosine's house. And, and so just a bunch of little kids in the pool and uh, jumping around and playing and just having a great time. And I lost count of the number of times I heard one of the younger kids yelling for someone, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. I, over and over and over again. Like, watch me jump in, watch me cannonball, watch me swim, watch BB, my nickname with the kids, watch BB throw me into the air. And then sometimes miss as I go into the water. Oops. Um, watch me shoot you with a water gun. Watch me drop my pizza in the pool over and over again. Watch me. Now, now my kids are older. My kids are in junior high and high school. Not once did one of my kids go to the diving board and yell like, watch me, watch me. I, uh, Pastor Chris, he didn't, he didn't get on the edge of the pool and be like, watch me, guys. As I jump in the pool, it didn't happen. Although he may have been tempted. <laughs> choking, choking. Listen, listen, listen. When love is set, has the highest mark of spiritual maturity, and you mature in love, you naturally, as a product of that maturity, you spend less time focused on self and more time with your attention on the love of God, eyes up on the love of God and eyes out looking to love others. That's the spiritual maturity of love in your life. The primary mark of maturity is to grow in love for God and others. Chris said it last week. Self loves to get in the way of loving God and loving others. And children are naturally self-absorbed. It is a product of the fall. Quick encouragement to parents of young children, even of older children. And maybe for that matter, just anyone who stewards their own heart. Your greatest responsibility is to disciple your children to love God and others. You are not helping them. Please hear my heart in this. So much brokenness because of this. You are not helping them if you make them the center of your world instead of Jesus and the mission of God. You are discipling them then to, to, to mature in self-absorption. If you prioritize their activities at the expense of a commitment to loving God and loving others in the context of the local church and in the context of the watching world, you are discipling them away from the mission of God. And I tragically see this all the time. And I could, I could younger parents, I could put you with some older faithful saints who regrettably have had to look at themselves in the mirror and go, that's what I did. And it's not just for the home. It should impact our, our church, the way we do church. It, is, it should impact our church leadership. Uh, prioritizing maturity and love is, is impacting how we process the vision of ministry at our church right now. Many of you know, we talked about a, a sort of a, a reframe of our vision and we processed through that. We're gonna continue to process through that uh, together as a church in the coming weeks and months. 
And one of the things we're striving to focus on more is, is how do we intentionally grow people in love for God and love for one another, not just what sometimes happens in church. It's just like, it seems like the church is just trying to grow in knowledge and formality and just attendance. That doesn't seem to be the end goal. And it's not. Because love cultivates something that uh, we just, we read earlier in John 13, it's also the front edge of our evangelism, our witness to the world. We've gotten this all flawed. We're defensive over all of our beliefs and doctrinal positions and the implication of, the, of that in the world is really important for the believer. But, but we've gotten the priorities out of order. At Christ Church, moving forward, one of the things we've talked about is that we're going to focus on four things. Worship in services, live in groups, train in studies, and serve on teams. That's it. We're launching train and studies this fall. It would be, it'd be easy in the planning of that. Um, a number of us are working really hard on getting some of those studies ready. It'd be really easy, honestly, for us just to, just to plan those studies just to be information transfers. Here's some slides. We're just going to talk through all the knowledge and information. And listen, there's some aspect of learning and teaching that's important and to study God's word is critical in that. But we're not just planning those to be just some lectures to attend. Like, with, with very little interaction with others. That's not at all what we're planning. We're planning these studies to be purposefully relational. That we'd, we'd have a sense that we're learning together as God's family. That these are little uh, groups of people wanting to study the subject over time so it would transform their life so that they could live the truth in love. That it would cause them to be more captivated with the, with the person of God and then more equipped to love others. And yes, there's gonna be some teaching, but most of all, we want to shepherd your hearts to be a disciple. And we're willing to sacrifice whatever so that that can be a priority. Recently, I was talking to Dylan about his study and the initial kind of subject that we had for this study was how to study your Bible. And I met with Dylan and he was processing it and Dylan in really a sweet, loving way was like, I, I, I'm not, I don't know if like that title's gonna work. And I was like, explain what, you're, what, what you mean. And he said, I, I think the title of that study should be Knowing the Word. And I was like, Why? And he said something like this. He said, because we don't want to train people to get more knowledge from the Bible. We want people to encounter Jesus who is the word through knowing the word. And I was like, come on. <laughs> like, I'm in for that. And then as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of what Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians. He says, knowledge puffs up, but what, church? Love builds up. And I was like, that's it. And so uh, knowing the word should increase your love for God and others or something is flawed in your approach. And I'm thankful for Dylan's heart and wisdom for that study. It's, it's true in all of the rhythms of the spiritual life, whether church or Bible or prayer or fellowship or serving or giving, everything valuable and profitable for spiritual growth must have an end in maturing the depth and the breadth of your love. That's That's it. So I want you to process carefully. Is love your highest priority? And let me encourage you to go one further. If that's the like junior high, high school challenge, the college challenge would be ask the people closest to you, do you see love maturing in me? And in what way do you see it needing to mature? And then close your mouth 
and listen really, really hard. I say that semi-jokingly because I would say that there has been um, conviction about love in my own life that has been slowed because of my defensiveness. And so I want to encourage you to listen carefully and lean into that question and to not try to defend or understand differently, but that person's experience with you is the reality of your love, whether you want to believe it is true or not. So listen carefully, ask broadly, and God will lead you lovingly. Set love as the highest mark of spiritual maturity. Second way to keep love as your top priority is this, sort of a unique angle on this. I want you to see it clearly from God's word. Long for Christ's return when love will be fulfilled. I love verse 12. It, it, it got into my heart and, and it just caused me to process through so many different things. The, the, the truth in this verse, I, I, I wanna hopefully lead you to see is the fuel to sort of energize. If you think about it as, as if, if love is gonna remain my top priority, what's the fuel that energizes my focus staying on love being the top priority? And so read it again, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That first phrase, see in a mirror dimly, is a unique phrase and it points to something that the listeners in the church of Corinth would have understood immediately. That's harder for us to understand because we're not in Corinth in the ancient world. Uh, the city of Corinth was famous for producing some of the highest quality bronze mirrors in the ancient world. Look at a picture of what a one would have looked like. Now, if you're like, that is not as clear as the quality of the mirror I looked at this morning when I got ready for church, correct. See, they didn't have a quality of mirrors like we have today, where you can see your reflection with excellence. If some of you got, got ready in front of that mirror, you, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, you, it wouldn't be as clear. You would see yourself dimly in it, right? I mean, at best, that mirror is going to be a dim reflection. This, it only shows your reflection dimly, and so it's an illustration of how we see God now. You see God and his love dimly. To whatever degree of excellence, to whatever degree of value it has in your life, it's still dim. That, that statement right there is, is profound because some of us have had our entire life wrecked and rearranged beautifully by the dim vision of the love of God. But this passage says that in the future, when Christ returns or we meet Christ after this life, it says there has a promise, but then face to face, and the next sentence is gold. It says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the degree to which God knows you, every single intricacy of the reality of you and your life from before the foundation of the world all the way through to the joy that he wants to express to you in eternity, he knows every detail of your life. In the same way this passage is teaching, in the same way, with the same degree of intricacy that he knows me, I am in, in, in eternity going to know him? Let that fall on your heart. 
This is a powerful and confident promise because everyone knows that that there is nothing better than after a long extended period of time of only seeing someone dimly that you love and then seeing them face to face, we all understand what happens to our heart in that moment, right? The advances in technology over the past 50 years have certainly helped us see people more clearly when they're not right in front of us, right? Like, think about it. So much of technology is to help us to see people when we can't have them face to face. It started with photography, and you could see a picture of someone, and, and, and sometimes people would have pictures of their loved ones with them when they were away at war or had to travel somewhere. Then it got better with video recording. You could have, take videos, and people could see videos of you actually living life. And then smartphones only expanded that exponentially. Now, you can... Everyone can record and share video and pictures right from their phone to someone. And it helps soften the reality when you can't see your loved ones. Now, in addition to that, the speed of data transfer over the internet allows you to connect with people over live video. I think you all knew that already. I just said that as though it was a surprise. But, but in the midst of all of the technology, all of the developments, all of the vividness that we can see now that's so far from the bronze mirror that was produced by this in the city of Corinth, there is still nothing like seeing someone you love face to face. In a few weeks on August 20th, um, I'm going to leave my oldest child, Eliana, at Cedarville University. I'm still in partial denial about that reality. She's gonna start her freshman year of college and uh, that transition is gonna create a longing in me that has not, there's not been much time between when I don't see her and when I see her face to face. And it's gonna create a longing in me to see her face to face and I'm gonna make the most of pictures and videos and all the technology we just talked about. But pictures like this of her or videos will always be dimmer than seeing her face to face. And uh, when I see her on breaks or vacations, there's gonna be a response that I can already anticipate where my heart and my affections will be stirred when I see her fully, not dimly. And if you can experience a love like this, in a human relationship. How much more is the moment gonna be in the future for the disciples of Jesus Christ than the moment when we see Jesus face to face? This this has to be one of the greatest promises in all of scripture. A day is coming when, when God's love for you and your love for God will be fulfilled in a moment. And you'll be face to face with God and I believe there's as much anticipation in God's heart for that moment as there is for, our, for us. And in that moment, you're gonna be instantly transformed. Like I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking, I'm really glad that my body's gonna be perfected before that moment because I can't imagine the emotion and the way that's gonna feel on my heart regarding my, the, the transition with my daughter in the next year. 
I think that if, if I didn't have a perfect body before I meet Jesus face to face, I think my heart would just be like, I just go down hard. I think my brain would just lock up and I would just go black because of the rush of unrestrained supernatural love that will literally permeate my soul. the promised future reality of that moment in the anticipation when rightly understood should fuel our zeal to learn to love like God through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? That promised future reality, that moment, the anticipation of it should fuel zeal that I would have without question the top priority of my life to learn to love like God through the transforming work of God's spirit. The anticipation of that moment to, to be known fully and, and, and beautifully by God should be a powerful motivation to show God's love, to point people to it, to share it to stir up passion in my heart like is growing all the, all, every day, every year in my life to display God's love to the world. The watching world will, will know you're a disciple of Christ by your love for one another. How are they going to see if this is not our top priority? How is the world gonna see if we continue to get caught up in so many things that, 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 are, that are being prioritized above love? I'm not saying that there's some things that we as the followers of Christ should chase after and should know and grow in, but not at the expense of that becoming a priority over the top of love. I want the world to experience a sample of that, just to taste it for a moment of what we know in Christ. Through the followers of Jesus Christ, showing them the love of God and by seeing our love for one another is how they're going to experience a sample of that, to taste it. How can it not be the top priority? When you're compelled by the love of God, you'll naturally want to be a conduit with God's love flowing to anyone and everyone around you. Think of the categories, people in the church, people outside the church, young, old, male, female, enemies, closest family. Loving like God is your top priority. That's why the, the summer love challenge was meant to be a time to focus on what God's convicting us of, but not an end. God forbid that we'd be like, sweet, did a summer love challenge, nailed it for three weeks. Now I'm going to put love on the back burner. No, it's meant to challenge us and, and, and call us to give us ideas to spur one another up to love and good deeds. That's why we share these testimonies. And so speaking of that, let me share some encouraging responses that are worthy of celebration. One person shared with us how in, in a brokenness of their family, their, their sister that's estranged from them communicated an angry text and, and, and normally would have been something that the person would have ignored, but this time they responded with love and care and patience, which led them to an open door to a conversation that, that they see as the start of even potentially restoring the relationship. How awesome is that, church? I heard the story about a woman that literally left church, went home because she wanted to get a counseling resource to a friend helping someone struggling in their marriage. 
I talked to one of the people involved at the end of our first service and they were like, I talked to that couple and they're like, our marriage is being restored. The love of Christ and the picture of that. I heard a testimony of a man who befriended another, an older man at an assisted care facility. He found out that the man doesn't get visits or get taken out at all because of how he's broken these relationships in his past. But this man is just sitting with him and hearing his story and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. How sweet is that? One person talked about stopping to help a family with a flat tire and how they easily found an opportunity to start a conversation about Jesus. Heard about a couple involved in our marriage mentoring ministry whose marriage is being transformed and how appreciative they are of the love that's being shown to them by the mentor couple. And and the couple themselves are learning to love each other more deeply. So many other testimonies that I could share in student ministries, being at at, at camp last week or or, um, the testimonies that come from our community groups and in our church week in and week out. It cannot be a temporary challenge. God wants this right in front of us, amen? It's essential to our mission. Long for Christ's return when love will be fulfilled. Loving like God must be your top priority. Set love as the highest mark of spiritual maturity. Long for Christ's return when love will be fulfilled. So here's what I want to do in the next moments before we close in some worship is I want to give our church, all of you, an opportunity to respond. Because this can be a thing or just like, I, that sermon on love, I, 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 it was appreciated. Like, God wants more for you than that. God has something specific that I know he has in, for your life, in your heart, just like he's doing some things in my heart personally. And so in a moment, we're gonna open up the front of the church and I'm just gonna encourage you to come and just to pray and to kneel and to seek God in some categories that could be, that could open the door or advance the reality of love flowing through you, of God's love moving towards others in your life more freely and more clearly. Maybe you need to come up front and kneel and just ask God for a revival of love to flow powerfully through your life in ways that you've never even known. Some of you might need to come up and you might need to kneel and you might need to confess sin that you know is disconnecting you from the constant flowing love of God. And so the sin has caused a disconnection that's then keeping love from flowing to others. Some of you need to confess that there's something that's been a higher priority than learning to love like God. Some of you might need to come and kneel and pray and ask God for wisdom to direct your love rightly into places where there is need or opportunity. You might need wisdom. Some of you might need courage to step into a place where God's calling you to love and honestly, you're just concerned. You're concerned that you might be rejected or or persecuted, or the, the move might, might make something harder. Some of you might need to ask God for endurance, where your efforts to love have not found a return. I don't know what it is for you. I know what God's convicting me of. And so I just want to take this time 
quietly as Chris continues to play over this moment, just to invite you to come forward and just to kneel and to seek God. Let your coming forward be a declaration of your faith to God. Because if it's gonna be a top priority, then there's nothing that's gonna keep me back from meeting with God on this subject. There's nothing that's gonna uh, cause me to hide behind the, uh, what can sometimes be the, the fakeness that can play out in a situation, a circumstance like this with people gathered together. There's nothing that's gonna hold me back from going, I need to seek God on this subject. And so let's move now, church, to this. And I'm gonna sit up here and pray, Amen. Just begin to come up and seek God on this. We're asking God for a revival of love so that we can fulfill the mission. So the space is open. And even those who don't feel compelled to open, to come forward, just begin to pray. Begin to pray that God would bring revival of love to our church. But there's something specific that God's convicting you of. Come forward and bring it before the Lord. He is the one that can change us, amen? Let's take this time now. I thank you for um, drawing these saints up front and um, God I thank you for their faith and their courage to move towards you and not away I pray that they would know that you hear them that where hearts are turned towards you that your promise to them is that you listen and hear and you know perfectly their heart and what you're doing in this moment and what you're wanting to do in their future. 
God, but I pray that a part of this move to you would produce a prioritization of love that they would stay in that posture and that's represented in their coming forward, that there would be a humility that would want to listen long, to ask the questions, the right questions broadly, and to let the work of your word wash over their souls and their minds and their hearts. Father, I'm again convicted and led to believe that there are that there are people in this room right now who there is a place and a, and a way that they are protecting their heart. Both from your love and from loving others. Father, I don't know if it's a deep hurt or if it's a way that maybe you have disappointed them in some way. But God, I'm asking for for that person or those people, I'm asking that you would give them the confidence to stop looking at their heart and get their eyes on you. And God, in a sweet way, would you give them the faith to offer you their heart again? Maybe it's a disappointment of a direction that they didn't want, God. Maybe it's an expectation that wasn't fulfilled. But in this moment, what I'm asking is that they would have the faith to offer you their heart once again so that you could fill it and so they could be equipped to love. God, I'm asking for that. Would you help the person protecting their heart? God, for all of us, would the truth of this word be captivating to us and lead us forward so that we could, through the work of your spirit, be equipped by your grace to actually fulfill the mission that you've called us to. So God, do this work in us. We trust you and we thank you for this opportunity to respond today. As we sing this next song and respond in worship, God, would you stir our hearts with affection for you that both convicts and leads us to love others well. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.